Hey, Mac, when does deer season start? Well, if you want the best deer herd possible, Lanny, you need to start right now. Right now. That's, That's why right. we're starting our promotion. I mean, we've got a deer season starts now promotion on plantbiologic.com where you can pick up our Game Changer soybeans, our forage soybeans, and our spring protein peas. While you're there, you might as well go ahead and pick up some brassicas like our final forage and winter bowls. Yeah, stock up for the cool season planting right now. Listeners to the GK Podcast, if you use coupon code GKPOD, you can save an additional 10% off our entire selection of warm season, cool season, and clover food plot seed. Get started today and visit plantbiologic.com for an unforgettable fall. I am Jeff Foxworthy, and welcome to Gamekeeper Podcast. If you want to learn more about farming for wildlife and habitat management, then buddy, you are in the right place. Join the Gamekeeper crew direct from Mossy Oak Land Enhancement Studio as they discuss the latest wildlife and habitat management practices, news, and of course, hunting. There's no telling what you'll learn, but I'm going to tell you, I bet it's interesting. Enjoy. We're live in three, two, one. Welcome, everybody, once again to West Point, Mississippi, uh, home of Mossy Oak brand camo. It's kind of kind of lonely around here this week, it, we, You know, it is. It's uh, Folks have scattered like a covey of quail. You can tell it's hunting season. Where's what? Dudley? Dudley's not even here. Where is Dudley, Where Mike? Where without Dudley? I think he's in Louisiana. Oh, is he duck hunting? No, I don't think so. <laughs> is he fishing for red fish? Red fishing. No. No, he's, no, he's deer hunting. A, he's at a concert. He's celebrating an anniversary. Oh, well, congratulations for them. What kind of anniversary has he got? <laughs> I think a wedding anniversary. <laughs> oh, Lord, have mercy. Okay. They well, went to see a band. You know, Dudley loves his music. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's a big part of his life. Yeah. Kind of so, like you and, wasn't it Wayne Newton? Did Wayne you know? Newton? No, no. Fascinating. John Denver. I do like John Denver. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't, you know. And Adele. Oh, yeah. I'm pretty modern. I like Adele. Did you so. catch the CBS special? I did. Yeah. Oh, good. It was good. good. It was good. So, look, it's uh, we, there's so much going on. There's deer hitting the ground left and right. Duck yeah, season deer has started. Season, duck season. Stuff's going everywhere. Of course, I'm still trying to get ready for it all. How was making? Oh, it was good. It was good. We got a lot of work done. Had a good work crew. Uh, Jess's kids, Jason's kids, I had mine, a couple buddies with them. So we had a, a lot of good manual labor. Uh, so it was fun. We had, let's see, one, two, three, four, seven kids uh, and six machetes. So worked oh, out pretty well. Yeah. Nobody got a leg uh, chopped off. Well, we kind of ended with Hayden fell on his machete. Oh, my God. But he didn't hurt himself too bad. So that's kind of, but it was all good. Man. We got a lot of stuff done. I know it sounds kind of like kid torture but uh it's really fun having those kids out there you know clearing lanes and doing all the, the good work around uh game keeping so yeah next year i might suggest y'all start a little earlier yeah yeah uh, you know how i am i'm always chasing it <laughs> yeah you know like uh, maybe august might be a good time <laughs> too many chiggers out there in that time. well they are but yeah. you don't run all the deer off i mean y'all are clearing lanes during deer season yeah, well, I mean, we just had to go through and, you know, make some adjustments. Actually, we were, we were kind of rigging things out specifically for hunting with kids. So, uh, and we wanted them to be a part of the work, and it was, you know, Thanksgiving break, so that's how it all kind of came about. But, yeah, complete and total success, except for one little uh, little injury. So it wasn't well, too bad. Speaking of kids, where's our intern? Where is John Wayne? He's, like, he was at work more than you were until – it got cold. Yeah, so uh, Jack Collett, we hire, he's an intern. He's yeah. from Montgomery. He's from Harold's from you know I went to Trinity in Montgomery. He went to Trinity, and we know his family. He's great kid. Are y'all his, cousins? His grandfather had Collett's Outdoors, one of the first stores to sell yeah. mossy oak. Yeah. 
So hey, and he was up here. He was beating me to work almost. Yeah. And then now I haven't seen him gone. in a few days. I think the north wind started blowing. Well, I so, hope and, his father doesn't call me and then fuss at me for because he's off doing is, something in the is name school of work. In session right now. And school is in session, isn't it, Mike? I believe so. Huh. Yeah, and he's not here. Mm. Well, we need to send an APB out, Jack. If you can hear us. Give us a smoke signal so if your dad calls, we can tell him where you are. <laughs> That's a typical hunting season here. Yeah, it, it, it is. So look, uh, the blood on the biologic. There's a lot going on there. Yeah. There's a there's a there's a lady from Montgomery, uh, Ann Albrecht Hollis, that killed a nine point in Macon County, uh, Alabama. That was really unique looking deer. A I thought I'd give, give her a little shout out there and. Uh, Elias Buckner, you know, Christy Buckner oh, yeah. works here. Yeah. He's been squirrel hunting with his dad and he killed a big old raccoon. Man, I know who was proud of that. He, 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 the picture was just precious. That little joker is awesome. Now. Yeah, it really was. <laughs> uh, Baston McKellar killed a fox squirrel. Jason Baston. What's his name? Caston, C A S T. You said it. What? Mac, I'm going to blame you for that. Lord, I Blasting McKellar. I said, how do you spell Bass? <laughs> I said, it's like, it's how it sounds. C A S T O N. All right. And Eric, uh, Eric Ganster, you know, we had him on the podcast. He has killed, since he started planting that non typical clover, he's yeah. killed three bucks up there in Pennsylvania. Blowing them down up there. I hear him. <laughs> so yeah. excited. I'm like, I'm, I'm Get, kind of getting tired of getting pictures yeah. of him. We need to go hunting, it sounds like. So I'm sure you talked about Jesse's deer. Was that last week? Did I miss that? Yeah, no. She killed it last last Wednesday. Yeah. So for kind of her first time to go by herself, she picked the stand, walked in, set up, did everything. Did you know the deer was there? I did know that. I kind of sent her a pic, told her this was you know a deer that was in possibly the area, in the possibly. Area. Yeah. And then about 545, Mac was sitting in my office. I get a text. Woohoo! I got him. <laughs> and then the work was on. Yeah, let me call Daddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she killed a nice ten points. So that was a lot of fun. So that's good stuff. So look, today, have you got any uh, blood on the biologic? Uh, no, nah, I know I'm forgetting something because it seems like everywhere I look on, you know, on any social page, there's deer going down. So Mac, David McElwain killed another. Oh buck. yeah, yeah, he sure yeah. did. Another bug. Yeah, and he's another one that's not here today. Yeah. I think he's in Kansas as well. He is. Yeah, they're filming a television show. So what did he kill? Uh, he, he killed a, a mature 10-point. A mature 10-point. And, and the cool thing about it was he, he told me to, to make sure that I preface this whenever you talked about it. So he was wearing a jacket that his grandfather gave him that he grew up hunting with. And so when he took the picture... Uh, to show you about the deer, he said, make sure Bobby knows that I was wearing this jacket because I think it was within a day that his grandfather died, like a year since his grandfather died. So it was oh, a pretty man. special moment for David. Yeah, so yeah. don't give him any trash or talk over what jacket he's got on. I guess, <laughs> it's I it's not the, the wrong camo. It's it's just a Carhartt old work yeah, okay. jacket. So well, I hadn't cool. seen the picture. No, so I hadn't either. I saw a picture of the deer. You know, he's kind of one of those delayed posters. You know, he doesn't get in a hurry to and post then, up some stuff. He had to have a dog help him find the deer. Yeah, we looked at the shot uh, on on camera. It's interesting. Talk about shot placement. Um, you know, with this particular deer, uh, it's so interesting on how the legs are. You know, because when the shot was taken, when you were looking at it, you would think that the front leg was actually in front. You know, and you can see the pocket behind the shoulder. But if you really looked at it, what it was, it was the opposite shoulder. So, how much that can change the position of the vitals. 
uh, in a rifle shot. It was kind of it was interesting. But the good thing is he found the deer, you know. So yeah, I think he that can really change the availability of vitals on a bow shot. Yeah, and he and he's shooting a rifle too. So I mean, it can change it. But he held with it. It's interesting, you know. We just talked about uh, trailing deer, and that's what they did. They went in. Uh, Went in, couldn't couldn't find the deer. Went back in the next morning when they had better light, and I think jumped the deer. But they pulled back out, went and got a dog, uh, and ended up ended up finding the deer. So mm-hmm. all's well that ends well. It's a great story. Now he told me that he thought that jumping that deer is what uh, uh, ultimately led very to the possibly deer, could the, lead the, to more blood loss. Yeah, you know, very good. Get oh. the heart pumping. Well, look, today we're going to talk about uh, we've got Mark Thomas. We got Mark Jury's going to be joining us. We yep. need to get him in, on the phone here in just a second. And we got Mark, Tom, who is one of the most interesting biologists you'll ever talk Absolutely. to. Absolutely. Super Com- smart guy. Super smart guy, super intriguing. Is at the you know forefront of forestry and wildlife management. Um, he's, uh, again, one of the, I think, one of the leading guys. So very interesting guy, too. He's got a lot of uh, good stories. So Yeah, I, I, I'm just always fascinated when I talk to him. So let's do this. If you would uh, try to get Mark on the phone, Mark Jury, and then Mac, let's talk about our commercial this week real quick while they're doing that, please. Absolutely. So when you think about land management, you think about food plots, you think about planting trees, you t- think about like what Lanny was doing, hanging stands and, and you know, clearing roads and access and, and all that. And so, I mean, really I want to talk about, I mean, now's the time to plant your trees. I mean, Dudley's phone's ringing off the hook without him being here, so yeah. we're kind of filling in, kind of bridging the gap for dub. him. And so, <laughs> I mean, really, I, I wanted to talk about native nurseries. I mean, the, the, the trees that are hand-selected and hand-grown from native nurseries really are just, I mean, substantial. The, I mean, the root system, they jump. Uh, the, the, they've really got it down at native nurseries. And then also, when it comes to land management, one tool that we use and I use is our Gamekeeper magazine. And uh, there's a a free promotion right now actually where you can download the gamekeeper uh app and have access for that for a year so on the mobile app side so you still still got to get your hard copy but uh the mobile the mobile we're giving a good discount on on that oh that's awesome yeah it is time to plant those trees in the south you know so uh appreciate that mike well, in the in the magazine, some it's a labor of love around here, guys. If you hadn't ever picked one up, you can get one at Tractor Supply or Bass Pro, actually Walmart in the newsstand section, yeah. and you check it out. But it's a great magazine. It's a great magazine. We work really hard on it. Got yeah, a really good job. So the best value though is to go on the website and subscribe because I think for about twenty bucks you can get the magazine, and it just mails right to your house. All right, so mail, uh, mail. yeah, old timey, old well, school. Hey, this is Mac. Checking game cameras is one of the many pleasures I get from gamekeeping. OnX helps keep track of my camera locations to be sure I'm getting the information that I need to make the best decisions for the wildlife. Try it out for yourself and see. Use coupon code MOSSYOAK to save 20% on your OnX subscriptions. Know where you stand. Good morning. Hello, Mark Drury. How you doing? I'm well. How are you doing, sir? Well, I'm doing good. We got Lanny sitting in here, and Toxie just sat down, so he came in to join us. So we got a, we got a full crew in here. That's right, missing That's Dudley. A distinguished crew, right there. Good morning, gentlemen. I don't know about this. I I guess I'd rather be distinguished than extinguished. <laughs> <laughs> Man, you said it right there, brother. Woo! Every day. Well, Every Mark, day. Mark, how, so we're, how's everything going with you right now? It's good. It's really good. We're just uh, getting out of sweet November and heading into December. So 
getting these deer back on food and off the ladies. So that's uh, one of our favorite times of the year. I wish the weather was cooler, but other than that, it's been a been a really pleasant fall and, and an enjoyable fall. It's it's so interesting how um, so they're they're getting they're, they're coming off their down. rut that's and right. we're getting ready to you know we're a few weeks from starting our rut down right. here, Mark. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. Isn't that crazy? Just uh, just amazing. It's uh, our deer get back on food heavy this time, and really. We're, we're at the tail end of one of my favorite phases, which is Green Revisited, and it has been phenomenal. The biologic food plots, for, for two reasons. Number one, we didn't have nearly the amount of frost this year that we've had in years past, so they grew much longer. Wow. So the, the plants are much healthier. We had a lot more forage there than what we're used to. And number two, it's pleasant, and everything's back on green. They're not on beans or corn yet, and I mean, they are just destroying our green fields right now. It's, it's crazy. I mean, I sat last night and saw four different mature bucks the night before five different mature bucks Lower all out there in, in a radish plot. People wouldn't even believe it. It's just, it's incredible how effective they've been. Talk about recovering from the rut. Yeah. I was I about mean, to say, I bet you deer, awesome. I mean, that's, they're probably looking pretty good shape then if that's the oh, case. Yeah. That's, well, they do. They do. The, uh, they're still, you know, nudging each other around and still checking a few does and whatnot, but, um, I mean, they're sure enjoying the deer ashes. I know that. Like, and generally this time of year, they've already started shifting to winter bulbs for us, but not this year. They're on radishes really, really heavily, and our plants are still. I've got fields that plants are knee deep, and they're out there belly deep in them eating them, just because we've had so few frosts. I mean, like three or four the entire year, and and they weren't even really major frosts. It's just been a very, very warm fall. You make a great point. People just miss and i mean we've been doing this for what 25 years or more and people just miss the point and they're like and they see the results of the deer that y'all grow up there and i realize you're in the perfect spot to do it there but still it's they they what you just talked about is that you can't grow deer like you do first of all without the knowledge and the discipline uh you know of harvest not harvest what shoot whatever but they have to have that nutrition all the time they have to get up and eat every day it's not like oh i had this great food farm in the summer when they were just putting their horns on i mean you're building a foundation for a buck phone right now for him to put on the maximum he possibly can when he turns five or six years old five or six years from now and you know the process of being so obsessed was for lack of a better word the obsession of mossy oak that mark is with his place providing food all the time you know, it didn't just like just to hunt over and it's done. All this stuff he's planting with biologic. When they eat down a lot of the big leafy stuff, there'll be residual clover feeding them all spring and then into the summer again. So that's the point I was trying to make to learn from Mark is like, you know, your deer are a long-term process. It's not They just pop up in the summer like a lot of people think, and I fed them something this summer, and, I, you know, they, they got to be on some beans there right at the end of the summer. It's the process of making your place the best it can be. And just my little buzzword I started using more and more, don't forget they have to get up, and it doesn't matter if it's ducks or turkeys either, too. They have to get up and eat every day. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. You're exactly right, Toxie. Grant always says the slaves to the stomach. And I think to go along with your point, it's also important to have enough room for them to come out and eat peacefully because they they don't they don't like each other and so often i see guys trying to put in a food plot 
that if they walk in the pot, I've got a shot. Mm -mm. And I don't think that's necessarily the most beneficial strategy. Number one, because it's a little too tight. But number two, I think you want to grow enough tonnage of forage so that they can come there and eat and also stay away from the other deer. I noticed it last night. Like I, I like football field size spots are bigger. Uh, and they're still plenty good for bow, bow hunting. But, you know, there were bucks walking in and walking other bucks off, but they could still get away from each other and go to another corner of the plot and eat, even, even one that was kind of injured and not feeling well. So just make sure that you don't lose sight of the fact that it is a year-round process and you want it you want it small enough that it's effective, but you also want it big enough that it doesn't cause undue social stress. Yeah, you know, you see that a lot. You see does will fuss with each other and rear up yeah, and then try to run off another one. And- yeah, but he's even a bigger point that he's, he's making is that make it big enough to have a substantial amount of groceries for them, right. too, mm-hmm. instead of being so concerned about, you know, getting the shot off type of thing. If you make a better plot with more food, then you're going to accomplish that. You know, you don't have to build a future bow or something to every corner of the plot necessarily. Sure. So make uh, another thing, the great what Dr. Woods told me a long time ago that he's, he was so dead on. That was 25 years ago. was like, you know, if you can do, if, if you say you can plant 20 acres of food plots, if you can't do a good job, and what I mean a good job is, and I'm guilty of it sometimes, if you know preparing the soil doing your soil test getting everything just right growing you know having big enough plots because another thing mark's talking about on a smaller plot you've got in most cases if you've got timber around that it's taking all the nutrients around the edge you if it's the size of a football field you probably got less than half a football field that's actually optimum growing mm-hmm. so do what you can do a really good job with so if you instead of 20 acres of food plots trying to pour them in over a big area if you can't do a great job but on five acres do a great job on five acres if that's your budget Mm. and especially the bigger plots and then you know let the smaller stuff be in excess if you have it it's just don't try to do too much if you can't do a good job of it sure sure so hey mark what i'd like to do is um we're gonna have we're gonna call Mark Thomas, and I wanted you to be. Uh, we, we've invited you to be here to help to give your insight in, into what he's gonna talk about and describe. And also, I felt like you might have some good questions. But yes. I think we can all learn from from Mark Thomas, and uh, we we especially wanted your input here on this, if you don't mind. From the Midwest. Okay. All right. So, uh, Lanny, if you would try to uh, call Mark Thomas. He's, We're going to try. I know he's waiting. He's sending me texts like, well, what are y'all doing? So, no, never. <laughs> yeah. And Mark Jury was sending me texts like, what, what yeah, are, what are remember, y'all doing? If somebody, <laughs> somebody addresses Mark, they need to know which Mark. I, I, uh, I at least made mine funny, Bobby. Yeah, you did. <laughs> Mark, uh, you're, you're a great comedian. <laughs> So hey, and Mark, before we, uh, before we close the episode a little bit later on, I want you to tell us about uh, what you can about Jim Tomey's deer. Oh my gosh! Wow, what a story! A Good giant. night. Good grief! What a story! What a deer! That that is a story that we don't have enough time on this podcast, but I can when you know address it later, and I'll sure give you the cliff notes version because it's a uh, it's quite a story. Maybe he'd want to be on with you and y'all and Terry, whoever else needs to be on, and just do an episode about that and his. What a giant. Philosophy. Yeah, that's such an amazing accomplishment. It's crazy. Okay. Oh, what a deer. What what a Illinois deer. Wow. All right. We Here are, we go. We are dialing Mark Thomas. Iron a hole. 
Good morning. Good morning, all. <laughs> hey, good morning, Mark Thomas. This is Bobby Cole. I got Lanny Wallace. I got Mark Drury's on the line with us. We got Toxie Hayes sitting here, Max here, Richie. We got the whole crew. Excellent. Well, good deal. Well, I've got seven dogs, and you'll probably get to hear them before we're done. All right. <laughs> seven dogs. What Let's happened go. to the eighth one? <laughs> yeah. I've got three for you, Toxie, and I'm throwing in a bonus cat. Well, <laughs> I hate to break it to you, but I'm pretty dog-saturated uh, right now down here in West Point. <laughs> got a you few know, I find them in the woods uh, normally during planting season, uh, most I found in a single season was 16. Wow. And I always get them homes, and if, if, if I can't give them away, I keep them. So I've got the dregs of, of the litter, you know. Well, that's uh, I don't know anybody else that does. That's, that's pretty that's awesome. Yeah, that says a lot about you, Mark. No, so. you know, I never pass up a dog, and there's so many starving dogs and puppies in these rural areas. I I always turn around and pick them up if, if they'll let me. Some of them will, some of them won't, you know. Good for you. We, we're blessed to have a great animal shelter here that yeah, does that and uh, does Good a great deal. service, yeah. Yeah. So uh, let me let let's Mac ready the horns if you would. I was trying to explain to our audience that uh, Mark Thomas is the most interesting biologist. I, I I mean he is just a fascinating wealth of knowledge. Yep. Uh, I expect to see him in a Dos Equis commercial any day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Whether it's whether it's wildlife management or timber management, he's just he's always he, at the forefront. Of he fits. Yes, he very fits well respected. It. So so without any further ado, let's hit the horns for Mark Thomas. All right. So. So Mark, we've got you got you hadn't heard Mark Jury. He hopefully he we hadn't lost him. He's he's on here. Mark is the, probably the best deer hunter we know. Yes. And we wanted Mark to be involved in this so we could ask you some questions. But but uh Mark Thomas, you are kind of one of the things that you are doing to improve properties to make them more huntable, more attractive to older uh, older bucks staying on the property and being visible is You've told me about how you're managing edges, and I, we've got about three things we want to talk about. That's one of them. Could you kind of go into that a little bit? Yeah, those edge structures are actually the, the scientific name for them is, is an ecotone, and uh, a lot of uh, managers are well aware of these the importance of these structures, and they utilize them on their properties. A lot of, a lot of folks. Uh, still don't really know what they are, and they have very hard edges uh, between habitat types. So you want to have a transition or a feathering between uh, habitats, and and that that feathering that that area there is called an an ecotone. And I like um, Whistleback is a great a product uh, for ecotones. Uh, it's a it's millet, sorghum, and sunflower. I usually add Egyptian wheat and Alamo switchgrass if I want a little higher structure, and a lot of times you do. And, and an ecotone basically is just a, a strip around the edge of each habitat type that you have. I like to vary them in width and uh, um, keep, them, uh, keep the hardwoods out of them, keep low-quality hardwoods out of them. And just plant them every every spring in, in Whistleback, um, and it's a transitional area between two habitats. But but they also become travel lanes, especially for older age class bucks who aren't going to come out in the open. I've had a lot of clients actually harvest older age class bucks 
inside the ecotone to those, those as those deer are standing there in those what they think is really a protected area but normally you can see see through them and even even uh, see the rack morphology um through them even with the egyptian wheat and the alamo switchgrass uh, you you can still see the deer standing in them but it's um it's a more general approach to wildlife management it also helps small game it helps the avian populations of uh, game birds as well as uh eating songbirds and neotropical migrants so it's a it's just a real an ecotone is an extremely active uh area for all species of wildlife and so if you have a, a conifer forest or a, a mixed oak hickory upland forest or whatever you you have in your property and then you transition into a food plot with a hard line you're not going to get near the wildlife benefit than if you planted an ecotone around those field edges uh, and maintain it as an ecotone in perpetuity. And you'll see an in incredible increase in wildlife usage as well as pollinators. Uh, you'll have a whole lot more pollinators uh, in those areas. So um, I, I love uh, I love Whistleback. It's really the best product that I've seen for, uh, for ecotones, especially if you're hunting white-tailed deer. Oh, wow. Well, you know, when we created that as something when we recognized that there's not a lot of wild quail out there and that we weren't expecting people to plant this and hunt wild birds, but that it's so beneficial to, if you had any wild birds and turkeys and and, and obviously deer like it as well, but we hadn't until you started talking about it, had people specifically planting it along the edge of food plots as a edge. We, you know, you kind of pointed that out to us. It sounds like you've been real successful with it. Yeah, the clients love them, and and if there's a emphasis on turkey, you can you can come uh, from the ecotone into the food plot. Let's say you got a perennial uh, food plot, a year-round food plot. You can actually. Uh, disc a single wide strip between the ecotone and your food plot and go ahead and plant chunkla. If you've got a turkey emphasis and you'll have turkeys will just hammer, hammer that because they've got all the seeds available from the whistleback and then they, they can scratch up chunkla right, right next to it. So a lot of times if turkeys and emphasis and, and white-tailed deer, I'll actually plant like a double ecotone the nearest uh, to the, um, Adjacent habitat is the whistleback, and then there'll be a strip of chufa between uh, the whistleback and the food plot itself, and then you'll you know you'll have a you'll have a food plot as well. So it does uh, it does add a lot to your property, and they're inexpensive uh, uh, to uh, create, and they're very long lasting, and they're extremely beneficial. You know, first of all, when is there not an emphasis on turkey? You know, I mean, that's just kind of the way it goes yeah. around here. <laughs> uh, but, you know, to help a little bit, you know, to me what you're describing uh, here is, is an ecotone. It's a transition area, you know, so a transition from a, maybe a, a planted pine plantation into a food plot that's going to uh, not only provide a, a, a more secure um, entry into those uh, into those other areas, but also I think you're talking about between riparian zones and and food plots and all any kind of transition area. Am I following you correctly? Or are you just talking about between wetlands and and uplands? No, any 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 habitat, any uh, separate compartment or habitat on your property. Mm-hmm. You can also plant them along the edges of your roads and ATV trails. And and believe it or not, in a lot of instances, I'll put a 
a whistleback ecotone in a real curvy uh, uh, manner right through the middle of a big food plot, make them a little wider. Mm-hmm. And those actually become travel lanes. And uh, mm-hmm. older age class bucks will, will go right down that, right through the middle of a food plot, walk planted with whistleback, and they won't step out on the food plot. But you can see them coming through if you've got an elevated stand. So uh, I'm doing more and more of that now. Well, I'm, I'm actually using uh, the, the same concept, but it, probably instead of calling it an ecotone, I would call it a, 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 a wildlife travel lane. But on large food plots where your only opportunity to harvest a buck is right there on those edges, you can actually use the same seed mixture and disc a wavy line through the center of your food plot, plant whistleback, add some Alamo switchgrass and some Egyptian wheat for some height, a little more structure in it. And you'll you'll see deer will just hammer that that travel lane. And it's actually just an ecotone, but it's in the center of a food plot in a wavy line. Mm-hmm. So uh, you can kind of use your imagination and I've had a lot of, of clients harvest big bucks standing in, in, in that whistleback. And they think they're protected because of the structure, you know, the, the, the sorghum, the millets, the sunflower. They think they're protected there because um, it's, a, it's, a tall, it's a tall plant community. So they're, they're, they feel safe in there. But you can actually, you can hammer them. You can hammer them in those ecotones and you can take that same seed mix and put it right through the middle of your food plot, 30, 35 foot wide, uh, weigh the edges and you'll, you'll see, um, you'll see whitetails traveling through that area in the middle of those ecotones. So, wow. So, Hey, Mark Drury. So you have spent a lot of time planting switchgrass and have you used it in a scenario like this before? We do. And it's, it's actually a combination between, Cabin Rock Switch, Big Blue, Indian Grass, and Cytos Gamma. So it's a variety of different plants. So Because if you go pure switch, it kind of chokes out the environment. It's a little too mm-hmm. thick. So I like diversity within the mix. And we'll, we'll put some Little Blue and other things in there as well so that they don't feel trapped to where you can see them and they can see you, but yet it's still a comfort bale for them. Uh, and our issue here is the topography is so rolly. I wouldn't want to try and do something on an annual basis. So therefore we have a tendency to plant something that's, that's long-term and then burn it every three or four years. So very similar to what Mark's talking about, but we take into mind, you know, the soil conservation side of that. And uh, it's amazing what you can do with an, with an old cattle pasture or with uh, a brome based CRP mix by transferring it over to a warm season mix. Uh, the, the wildlife uh, benefit is, unbelievable the difference particularly for quail and pheasants and turkeys and uh we've done it quite a bit here and it it makes a huge difference that's awesome it's it's interesting that how these uh on these edges how these mature older bucks feel a little more comfortable i I mean they are so slick how they won't walk out in the open sometime but they'll walk up to those edges and and maybe see scent check see what's in the plot and then move on Boy, you bred it into them, hunting them for so long. It just is what it is, you know. You know, it's not only that, Bobby. Like, up here we have a lot of, like, wooded draws that run for long periods of of, uh, of distance. So if you insulate that draw on both sides with a decent strip, um, it, it's amazing. 
how active that draw becomes during daylight versus what it had been. Take a cattle pasture where all the timber's down in the deep ditches and all the all the ridges are open up here. Go in and, and plant these strips and insulate that wooded timber and suddenly it becomes a major highway for you. So it's it's a huge benefit to give them that insulation and that blanket of security to where they start using those draws again during daylight. Mm. Yeah, it does. So, uh, Mark Thomas, let me ask you a question. One of the things that you that you talk a lot about are these. Uh, I think you refer to them as elevational food plots, where you take advantage of the topography and you have a food plot that goes across. You refer to it as, as a riparian zone, and I think that just means it's near water. Is that right? Yeah, I like to. Um, if you if you have topography on your land. You can use that to your advantage, and uh, your uh, hunting stand location will be at the highest point. And it's uh, desirable if you have a shelf uh, about halfway down, and it's, it's basically just a, a long uh, kind of a, I don't like straight edges. I like to have real curved edges, maybe uh, maybe a chain wide, a chain 66 feet, the center part would be 35 to 40 feet wide, and that's planted in, in high-production agricultural food plots. And then you'll have an ecotone on either side, and they'll be wavy. The ecotones will be 10 to 20 feet on each side. I like to take that down slope into a riparian zone with an intact SMZ. So you, you, you retain your streamside management zone, uh, but remove uh, your quality, you know, your, your, your money trees out of it. They're going to win throw anyway. So, so you'll cross that SMZ and you'll continue the food plot, which is basically a shooting lane, across on the other side. And I like to tie it in fairly close at the end to either bedding cover or escape cover. And I'll, I'll, I'll bring a, some steel brush saws in there and actually cut some travel lanes into the end of that elevational food plot. So it's a long, narrow, uneven-edged food plot that goes downhill and crosses a riparian zone. Those older H-class bucks will come out of those bedding uh, sites or escape cover, and they'll feed at the end of those those uh, elevational food plots, those long, windy uh, shooting uh, lanes. And so they think they're protected because they're on the other side of the creek or the other side of the water feature, whatever it is, a swamp or whatever. So those, and you can narrow that area down when you cross the SMZ, you don't really, you know, you don't want to clear cut your SMZ, but you certainly can thin it way out, way, way out. So you can uh, see through it. And a lot of times, if you take out the taller deciduous trees, you'll be shooting over them anyway, but, but, but it is some long distance shooting. A lot of them, a lot of the elevational food plots I put in are 400 yards, 300 yards. You know, you got a hundred, hundred and a half, to the creek, you got another hundred, hundred and a half on the other side. So you need a real uh, solid uh, shooting structure that's not going to be blown around in the wind uh, or a ground blind with a tripod. So, but for but for a flat shooter, man, it's fun. You'll get those big bucks out on the end of that. I've harvested several myself on 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 those structures, and uh, the big bucks come out. They feel safe. They got a, a repairing zone. Uh, on their side, and, and they think uh, they think they're in the clear when they come out. Now, making them feel comfortable, I guess that that's uh, <laughs> part of it. Yeah, yeah, a big big part of it. What about the you know you kind of 
broke uh, this hub and spoke thing that you talk about all the time. We've seen it over here at a property. That are you able to? You still installing those on clients' properties? I do, I do, and and a lot of them that I see, I'm not going to say they're not installed correctly by land managers, but they're not installed in the way that I like them because there's a real specific way uh, to do it that seems to maximize um, utilization. And and, and the utilization, if they're done correctly, is virtually all day. It's not just a a daylight and and, uh, sundown uh, harvest opportunity. These these, uh, alpha does that are in these uh, cutover areas, if you if you're putting them in clear cuts, which I prefer to put them in a clear cut prior to replanting, after you've done your site prep and your prescribed burning, I go ahead and lay them out, then plant the site. I like them in the middle of conifer stands actually because it's great bedding and escape cover, and it's great bedding cover, and it's also great fawning cover. You'll have your older does in those areas, and they're bringing those older age class bucks into those areas as well. There is actually a term for that called a breeding umwalt. You've never heard the term umwalt. It's it's where your older, wiser does will actually bring um, uh, the bucks into those areas to breed, and they'll chase them up and down these these hub and spokes all day. I call it an interspersion index enhancement feature. And <laughs> if they're yeah, that's a big word, isn't yeah. it? I'm not, touch- I, I'm not touching that one, and uh, I guarantee you, well, Mark Drury's not touching it either. <laughs> Inter, interspersion is, is just a, a quantitative measure of habitat. And in a, in a loblolly or a longleaf pine stand, your interspersion index is one. You have one type of habitat. If these, uh, these hub and spokes are installed correctly with these edge uh, ecotones, uh, disc strip, uh, planted interiors, and you draw an X through it, you'll actually cross 44 different types of habitat. So you go from one to 44. So it adds a lot of uh, diversity and biodiversity to your stand. But I like to install them in, in conifer plantations that are planted. I usually plant on eight by nine, uh, 545 trees per acre. These structures actually last for the entire rotation. Uh, you'll thin them a couple times, final harvest them, and plant them again, and and you'll still have uh, 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 your hub and spokes will still be uh, uh, utilized. I also use them during the thinning operation too. So, so look, so as skid trails. So it's, they're really great features. So Mark, so make sure, I'm trying to make sure everybody understands what we're talking about. Would you kind of explain how the, what the hub is and what these spokes are, so somebody listening, yeah, we, we make sure we get Bobby. If you flew over it. And look down, it looked like a great big turkey foot. Looked like a great big turkey foot on the ground. I like to have a zone of separation between where the three shooting lanes connect, uh, 20 to 40 yards or so, sometimes more, so that when you're entering and exiting, exiting your stand, you're not um, uh, alerting uh, the, uh, the deer in the vicinity. I like to keep the understory habitat very, very dense as dense as you possibly can. And, and I'll, I'll usually send these areas early to increase light availability and uh, herbaceous plant communities in the understory and rubus and legumes. And and then they, the, the, what we've basically done with a hub and spoke is we've taken the ecotone concept and we've taken the elevational food plot concept. We've combined them 
into a three uh, three shooting lane uh, concept, and um, they're planted in in uh, biologic any of your products really, and then I'll usually top dress maybe with your trophy oats in the winter, just do a broadcast top dress. And uh, the area adjacent to those shooting lanes, and the shooting lanes are very narrow. I mentioned a chain wide, maybe 30, 30, 35 feet, 40 feet in the center with uh, 10 to 20 foot ecotones on each side. I like to use a disc strip as well. Um, you can add a chupa component. But, but I've, I've literally, I've seen seven, eight, nine-year-old bucks running does up and down these shooting lanes literally all day when, when the time is right because they feel so protected in these areas because they're so narrow. Most people, uh, they're way too wide. There's no ecotone. They don't, uh, they're straight. They're straight uh, on the edges instead of wavy. And uh, the bucks just don't utilize them uh, as well as if they're, done correctly so i have written several articles about interspersion index enhancement and uh, you can google them up i think there's even one uh there in, in gamekeeper yeah uh, mark jury i won't give you a chance to ask a question <laughs> well i wonder i'm sitting here listening to this have you done any work in the midwest either in missouri iowa illinois uh, by chance and have you used that exact tactic up here anywhere you know i got a really good friend in missouri that you all know very well named dr grant wood and i i don't like to work up in that area because i figured that's kind of his his territory so to speak so most of my work been down here in the south now i do have clients up and down the east coast all the way to the northern tip of maine and it's a different, you know, it's a different world up there and up in the UP and Michigan. And we've done those up there, but I really haven't gotten, Mark, I haven't gotten out there uh, much to, to talk about uh, these different um, ideas. So no, your, the answer to that question is no, I just haven't, I just haven't been out that way that much. Yeah, very good. Okay. Yeah. It's intriguing everything you're talking about. And I talk to Grant frequently. He's a, he's a very dear friend and I really don't make a big move on any of my places without kind of past him. So it's uh, it would be interesting to get your two minds together and, and just let you talk for about two or three days and record it all because <laughs> I think people could learn so much. I mean, probably two of the most brilliant minds in, in wildlife management right there. That would be, be an awesome yeah. show, Bobby. Yeah, you know, it's interesting that uh, Mark Thomas, is you're from Missouri, aren't you, Mark? I am, yeah. I'm an old, I'm a, I'm an old Missouri Jumping mule coon hunter. We had uh, we had two jumping mules growing up, and they were trained to side load in the in the sliding door of a forty Econoline van. Wow. And I actually paid for my bachelor's degree in wildlife management from coon hunting. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm an old Missouri jumping mule. Wow. What, what what town were you from? What part of the state? Uh, Green County, uh, a little tiny town called Galloway, which is part of. Uh, Springfield, there's a little store there you may have heard of called Bass Pro. And when I was growing up as a kid, Johnny Morris was selling chartreuse brush busters on a four foot by four foot card table in his daddy's Brown Derby stores. And I still have about 20 of them today. Wow. That's awesome. Isn't that something? Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, you're dating yourself <laughs> for sure. <Yeah. clears throat> oh, wow. It would be interesting to see 
how many coons it would take now to, to get that same degree. <laughs> Oh, um, three million. <laughs> yeah. Back back then, you know, if I if I caught ten coons a night, they were grading out at fifty four bucks a high, and I was selling them up in Collin, Missouri, to an old hide buyer named Bud Keller, and I'd go up there and sell twice a year, and uh, I actually paid for my tuition and my books from coon hunting. That's a great story. Well, goodness gracious, I I tell you what, uh, we have we certainly. We're listening to all the stuff that Mark Thomas is explaining, and we're scratching our heads and trying to figure out how we can apply it to to what we the, the properties that we manage. Well, yeah, here. That, the the question I would have too, you know, there's between these two, and um, you just about touch anything knowledge wise, but you know, there's a difference between what you know Mark's able to do, maybe I'm able to do, and some others. Uh, Mark Drury, both Marks, but, um, and then, you know, there's also, I'm always so mindful of everybody, the masses out there that are, don't even own their own place, but they do have a say-so and they, maybe they've got a lease they're going to have for a good long time, or one of their friends lets them have the run of the place. I mean, so some of that, maybe they don't have the budget, but, you know, they have the desire, that obsession that they have is just the same as mine or Mark's or someone's. And so what are some of the common things going on today that people could help themselves with? Uh, that's, I'd love to hear a little bit of what, because uh, honestly, both, especially Mark Thomas gets out in front of people, but both of them do a lot more even than I do. Um, so this is my question, you know, in this broader, broader topics, like how can the, you know, so many of the, the numbers of people that have a lease is from some timber company mm-hmm. or some yeah, person club. that owns that, you know, so much of it now, you know, get up in the Midwest and there are farms, but, um, you're right though. In the Southeast, you're, you're leasing timberland. Yeah. Because, you know, uh, when you're, when you get into big farm country, most, not always, but most of the time, a lot of the work is kind of done, not a lot of it, but a fair amount more of the work is done for you simply because of it's open terrain, it's rich soil, it has probably some component of farming mm-hmm. that is beneficial to wildlife, especially deer, uh, you know, and you don't have to have as much work. But, you know, when you get something that's a purely, and I think Mark Thomas has extensive experience in that, timbered, and how to develop that, it's a whole different Mm-hmm. Uh, complicated yeah. and much tougher. And I mean, cause the reason I say it, I see people just keep doing the same thing over and over again and, and expecting different results. And that doesn't happen. That's a, actually the definition of insanity. Sure. And how could we help people? Cause I know one of the first things I would say, Mark Thomas is like, focus on the overall carrying capacity of your place, even over your food plots. And I know that's a, I shouldn't be saying that here at biologic, but it is the first thing you should do. Isn't that right? Yeah, that's always a component of it. And, you know, the, the term for that really what we've coined over the years is QVM, which is quality vegetation management. And the, the first thing that I'll normally do with a client is discuss QVM because if they don't have the foundation of natural uh, plants and a, a uh, high uh, diversity of plants and preferred white-tail deer food plants on their property, then, then they're, they're, they're not going to be able to 
obtain higher densities in most instances with food plots alone, especially if they're leasing timber land because they're only going to let them have half percent or so of the land in the food plots anyway. So it's a very small amount that's available. So you really have to concentrate on your native plants. And, and the whole concept of QBM has been well publicized. I've, I've written a number of articles on QBM. It's basically just simulating the native plant seed pool, which is already in the soil. And, and there are a number of ways to stimulate that seed pool. And normally, um, you have to utilize some type of vegetation control methodology initially to get rid of the low-quality plants, the non-native plants, and the undesirable plants. Once you do that, you can use prescribed burning on serotonin seeds especially to uh, encourage germination and then fertilization after that. And you can... I've, I've done this in places where I've removed sweet gum understories and I've come back uh, the, a year later and you'll have 500 species of different uh, herbaceous plants and flowering plants and legumes and rubus. And, and those are the kind of plant communities you need to foster for white-tailed deer. Uh, your question about budgets, I get that a lot with clients, uh, talk to you a lot. And everybody has different budgets. Some some landowners don't have any budget. Right. Uh, one way to get a budget for land management is through accrual uh, based on your timber sales. You know, manage your timber aggressively, put 10% of that income into an accrual account for habitat management, and then presto, you know, you're funded. So that's one way to do it. Another way, I wrote an article one time, it was called a $25 food plot. And, you know, you've got a product called Hotspot, it's a no-till, just a broadcast, and then your trophy oats, same same thing. I mean, you don't need any equipment. You don't need a disc, you don't need a tractor, you don't need anything, you just need a belly grinder. You can put out beautiful food pots with a belly grinder, just top dress broadcast. Uh, I do it all the time, and it, they just, in fact, I, one of the articles I wrote was called a Honey Hole, and it's about how to create honey holes and I usually go in and uh, inject to increase light availability and remove the low-quality uh, trees in the overstory, but you can actually do them in the woods. Uh, in deciduous um, uh, instances, you know, your leaves are, have fallen. You have almost full light availability in the forest floor, and there's a lot of plants that grow well uh, that are that are just broadcast top dress, and you'll germinate after the first rain. So. That's a cheap food plot and a and a wonderful uh, hunting opportunity too. So, what is there? There's another, a lot of ideas out there. Yeah. So, Mark, is there another word for belly grinder? I'm not sure. I know what that is. Cedar. Uh, a hand cedar. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Hand cedar. Okay. I call them monkey grinders or belly grinders. Okay. All right. All right. Well, I yeah. thought it was a companion <laughs> to like a back scratcher. It might be a Christmas present if you get somebody. Oh my goodness. Gosh, this has been really interesting. Yeah, Mark Thomas, would you would you mind? I think you'll. We're going to ask Mark Jury to tell us about a his friend Jim Tomey killed a, a really big deer. I think you might enjoy hearing this. And I'm scared if we hang up on you, we'll lose, we'll lose yeah, the other we'll Mark. Listen, yeah. So would would you? I think you'll enjoy listening to this, Mark Jury. Would you tell us a little bit about that Jim Tomey buck? Absolutely. Um, Terry and I met Jim probably. Gosh, close to 20 years ago when he was still playing and he's just fired up about, you know, hunting just like we were. And baseball 
kind of uh, interfered with that a little bit in terms of how much land management he did because he was always busy in the spring and he would get off in the fall and oftentimes if he was in the playoffs he'd run late into the fall so he didn't have a lot of chance to really manage his land and we got to talking and, and visiting with him and, and once he retired he's just taking his Illinois farm over there and just done everything he possibly could to make it the best whitetail farm that he could and about four years ago uh, there was a, a, a beautiful three-and-a-half-year-old deer that um, maybe it was three years ago it was a four-and-a-half-year-old deer, but Mike Matheny passed this deer, and, and Jim recognized it as a beautiful typical, and oddly enough, this deer lived right behind his lodge. So he felt like it lived in a fairly safe place on his farm, and he continued to pass this deer through the years. And last year, he hunted it as hard as he could, on all the different food plots and he's got warm season grasses and he's got grain fields and green fields and all kinds of access routes. Like he's got it dialed in and he could not run into this deer. So in the off season, he bought additional cell cameras and he always called it the Mike Matheny buck. So he called it Matheny because Mike was the one that, that had passed and Mike's the, the, uh, at that time was the manager of the Cardinals. He's now the manager of the Royals and Jim, he, he has like 13 or 14 reconic cell cameras on a, on a very small area that he identified as this buck's home base, you know, home core area. And on a daily basis, he'd call Terry and he'd call me and he'd let us know when he saw him and when he didn't. And he just continued to stay out of there, stay out of there, stay out of there until the deer started daylighting. So he was using our app, DeerCast, combining conditions with cellular reports, and he would only go in on the right time. And he eventually finally killed that deer. He made a phenomenal shot at 52 yards, took the deer's heart out, and uh, the deer ran about 100 yards and, and died. It had 28 scoreable points. It grows 200 and was it 223 inches, and is just literally one of the most beautiful deer you've ever seen. He killed him at age seven and a half, and uh, just he did everything right. And uh, he's he's such a brilliant guy. And and. One of the things about Jim that I love the most, clearly he has hand-eye coordination like no other to hit 612, you know, major league home runs. And he handles the bow the exact same way. Like you would never want to shoot against the guy for a, for a pop. I can tell you that because he is an incredible shot. Uh, when he, you know, he came up playing baseball, didn't really have a bow in his hand that much until the last few years. And it, it didn't surprise me when he made the shot that he did. So a lot of things added up to take that deer, but it's uh it's a phenomenal piece of video and a phenomenal uh, story. It's all over there in our app, DeerCast. The kill's in there right now. And it's, it's, uh, it's pretty cool to see a, a great guy kill a great deer. Jim's one of the finest humans you'll, you'll ever meet. The, the photos of the buck it's are just giant. incredible. And you know, we were thinking that this ought to be some kind of Pope record, and Young record. You it, where, you, where is it going to land, you know? Well, if you look at the net score, it nets terribly. It's like in the 160s. It's really the total gross because he has so many different kickers and stickers around the bases that are all scorable. It really brings the net score quite low. Okay. But the overall gross score is astounding. Of course, the you know the just looking at him it blows your mind how big that deer is. He's, he's awesome. Yeah, we just go with those gross scores anyways. We don't like that net. So. Yeah. <laughs> what, what do they say nets are for fishing? I guess. That's, right, yeah, right. that's right. If God yeah. let Give them grow, whatever God it. gave them. That's right. Leave it to it yeah. <laughs> We don't know what a pop is. You yeah, said shoot for a pop. pop. What a were you co- talking? That's Coca-Cola, Bobby. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, yeah, like a, co- a Coke. My, my buddy Jerry Hale always wants to shoot me for a pop. So <laughs> that's where I brought that. Would, you wouldn't want Jim, I can tell you that, in a, in a bow shooting tournament. It's, he's, he's, he's an incredible incredibly talented shooter. 
Wow. The Massini buck. Matheny. Massini. Matheny. And ironically enough, Matheny. Mike had just got there the day before he killed us this year. Mike came in to hunt again, and he was on another part of the farm, and Jim was in his wow. stand. And you'll see it in the video when he shoots it. He calls Matheny. <laughs> I just I just killed the Matheny buck. It's, it's pretty cool. It's pretty awesome. That is. Well, congratulations. Yeah. That's a heck of a deer. A heck of a story. Yeah, it really is. The, 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 when we saw the, the first saw the picture, I was, I was just blown like, away. Yeah, it was, it was That's too crushed. funny. Yeah. I think about you calling. He called us. I killed Matheny. I killed Matheny. <laughs> I still, I think back of Jeff Foxworthy. They had a deer that had such a tall yeah. rack at three years old. He called it Will Smith. And so that's when the phone call came across. There was a couple of them on a speakerphone, and he was like, I killed Will Smith. I killed Will Smith. I can't believe it. And they're like, uh, I hope this isn't getting out to the scanners. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, look, guys, we have certainly enjoyed having you guys on here. It is um, always a pleasure. Yeah. So, oh, my gosh. You could, there's no way one visit can do justice to the, what, what, you know, and just us, we're in the position of trying to get, give to people give them things to lead a better life all the way around, especially so many of our, you know, people out there are, love their land and whether they own it or not and love, and it's growing so fast, love doing things to their land and or the land they have access to. So, we, you know, and obviously the, the highest percentage of them, it, it's deer. So yeah. I'd love just as many times as we can to be able to tap into that for people and, and, um, there's a lot more to give these guys, uh, yeah. the best there is. Well, look, and we've got Mark Thomas and I have identified about 20 different topics we want to talk about. So we'll be having Absolutely. Mark Thomas back here in yes. the future. And I'd love to, Mark, I'd, I'd love to get you to come to West Point and sit on the couch between the turkeys and, and, and we, we grill you a little bit. So uh, if you ever, when, when next time you're traveling, let's think about doing that. And, and, and uh, Mark Jury, we love having you on this all the time. You're just so much fun to talk to. Sounds like you're going to have to invite well, a turkey. Huh? I want to say congratulations to you guys. I read, a, I read an article yesterday on bowhunting.com, and I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but it was titled Best Deer Hunting Podcast to Listen to This Season, and the first one that comes up is Fistful of Dirt. So yeah. that's what it does, and I know you guys are in there as well. So it's the 100% Wild Podcast, and I just want to tell you guys congratulations for doing a great job. Well, well thank you. Same and thing right back at you, yeah, too. Yeah. Yep. That's right. A lot more good stuff in store coming down the road. It's really been embraced by the, everybody in a big way. Good deal. Well, I sure have enjoyed it, everybody. And uh, talk and please give Fox my regards and good luck on this next turkey season. Yep. Likewise. Likewise. Yep. We're, we're, we're actually, he's doing a little better here lately and the topic of getting out and sitting in a deer stand has come up so we're crossing our fingers that's not it's, it's not it's not easy for him it's gonna have to good be, deal that's a good thing about this warmer weather mark is that he might could stand it so um watch watch uh i guess watch social media whatever we'll let you know if he gets out i promise you this he'll be at the best spot we have yeah <laughs> will uh, all right, guys. Well, Mark Thomas, people, if you're on Facebook, you can just look Mark Thomas. He's uh, in central Alabama. You, you can look him up on Facebook and follow him. He's a really interesting guy. And, of course, everybody knows how to follow Mark Drury. So, But thank you both for being here and helping us out today. Thank you for having us. You bet. Glad to do it. It was fun. Well, we learned a lot today, I think. 
Oh, yeah. yeah. Th- this whole uh, the ecotone thing was very yeah, interesting. Look, the Mark and Mark thing, obviously, Mark Drury has a, a bead on what's going on in the Midwest, but it's a challenge in the South to manage, you know, these dense forests for whitetails. So well, yeah, the principles of both of them were something everybody can apply. That's right. what I, I can see those together and having spent so much time out and, you know, actually, let's be honest, screwing it up in places to learn what not to do, it kind of starts to teach you what might work. So um, sometimes Mark is just so brilliant that he may use a word that confuses people, but the concepts of what he's talking about and a lot of what you see Mark Drury do are very, very, very similar. Mm-hmm. And yeah, does it change from Iowa to, you know, a Tennessee Smoky Mountains or something or a Pine Forest of Alabama? Yeah, it does. But um, the principles of that, you know, one of the things that I think I would take away from it for everybody to learn combined with what I have learned is hard to come by is they talked about making a mature deer comfortable Mm -hmm. in daylight hours because that's the only time you can hunt them, obviously. And so that's a big deal that most people overlook. And I know especially because knowing Mark Drury, I mean, he literally – will set this stuff in the spring, in the late winter, in the early – I mean, he'll hang the stand. He's going to bow hunt in November. In, like, July, he will not get near it again. That's uh, so one, one reason why these – you know, for that kind of stuff, these cameras that text pictures are so bad, you don't have to keep going back in there and messing with it. Um, they're just conscious of everything. And that, you know, Mark is – Mark Drury is so over the top organized, anal, detail-oriented about all those things. That's what makes him great. But then they're both trying to do the same thing. And that's – so what, what? what's the common denominator? What can you do to try to make them as comfortable as possible? I, I still remember a, a, a deer man, one of the earlier deer managers that I'd met that were into it and even back in the 70s before it had even had a word – and he said one time, he said, you'll find that um, when a white-tailed deer go, especially in the southeast, when a white-tailed deer changes from three and a half years old to four and a half years old, he said they should just change the scientific name because mm-hmm. they don't even resemble what they used to be. And I know that's not always from three to four, but that's pretty close. Sure. And so so many of the deer that people do kill around the southeast and clubs and stuff and whatever are – superstar younger deer because they hadn't gotten those habits yet. Uh, so how do you, it's a big challenge. And so there's a lot of good advice. These two guys are probably two of the best. At, how can you make a mature deer comfortable coming out into the open during the daylight hours? That's a, probably as big a time as far as hunting uh, it is there is. Yeah. And so we could go on and on and maybe prepare a show about nothing but that. It might, as far as the hunting, that's not to do with growing a big deer. And, of course, I always say if he's not there, you can't kill him. So growing him is the most important thing, mm. period. But besides that, getting a shot at what you've grown, it's amazing how I have let deer go on places and not even killed a deer for five years in a row. And get the camera pictures, and I know they're there. They're grown up. They're five, six, seven, eight-year-old deer running around, and you never lay eyes on them. Mm-hmm. How do you do a better job of that? That would be a great topic. Yeah. You know, one of the things that, that I picked up was listening to Mark Thomas talking about that hub and spoke mm-hmm. and how it's best installed on a clear cut. 
And so if, there, if there's a guy that's interested in having his own place and he, he could find a 40 or 50 or 60 acre, that clear cut is probably is, is the least expensive land you can buy. Oh, yeah. If you had a vision yeah. for, you know, if you had the ability to hold on for a few years, you could buy that and lay out that hub yep. and spoke and yep. let it grow up and you could create a really good hunt yeah, spot absolutely. in the future. Yep. They're, they're just a little bit different tactics, you know, depending on where you are. Obviously, Mark's in a great latitude. Like you were saying, a lot of the agriculture is already right around there. But uh, being able to do this in densely forested lands in the south is, I mean, I, my, what I take out of it is you can do it. Mm. Uh, you know, just like what you're saying, you can do it uh, with these timber leases too. Um, just takes a long-term commitment, you know, to, to doing the right thing. So yeah. good stuff in my mind. Yeah, it has been good. Uh, the television show Tuesday nights. We just had one air about uh, the stresses of the rut. Yeah, it's kind of what really Mark good... was talking about. So yeah, very relevant to what Bronson his discussion Strickland was on there. It was really good. good really good. good. So, guys, y'all check that out on Tuesday nights, and uh, pr- please leave us a review. We appreciate y'all listening to the podcast. We'll be right back here next week. Uh, mm-hmm. So, uh, without Dudley, I can't 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 do it. But uh, why don't you say goodbye, Mac? Goodbye, Mac. Get us out of here, Mac. (laughs) Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Gamekeeper Podcast. And be sure to tune in again. Subscribe to Gamekeeper Farming for Wildlife magazine. And don't miss the Mossy Oak Properties Fistful of Dirt podcast with my good buddy, Ronnie Cuz Strickland.